Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Andrea Hughes. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. Our guest today is comedian Sophia Cadigan. She's going to talk to us about Interview with the Vampire. Very exciting, very everything. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Sophia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to come on here and speak about the very wholesome and child-friendly film that is Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, <laughs> uh, very good advertisement for Louisiana. Very good, just... Sports cars. <laughs> it's a positive film for, for Guns N' Roses, for, <laughs> for Brad Pitt's hair. Please Men tell us almost you... <laughs> kissing each other, but not quite doing it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sophia, please tell us why you have picked Intrude Tumper. So um, I, I was looking through, I listened to the Juvenalia before and I was trying to think, what could I do that nobody has has covered yet? And I realised that all the um, lovely, wholesome, innocent things of the 90s had been taken. So I thought I'd go down the depraved route and uh, bring everyone on a journey down my dark and dingy childhood, um, where I watched this film when I was far too young, probably to have been watching it, but it absolutely transformed my life. <laughs> and probably <laughs> it was very formative for me and who I became as a teenager in the following years. So I thought, what a what a, a perfect thing to speak about today. So how old were you when you saw it? So I was probably, I was trying to pinpoint the exact year and I can't, but I'm going to say 12. Because <gasps> Been, that's a dangerous age to see this film <laughs> it's, hence the formative aspect of this mm-hmm. do you know yeah barely i was post claudia do you know when i saw this and i guess like any like child who thinks that they are the protagonist of life i saw what i thought was a lot of myself and claudia and looking back <laughs> what was i thinking <laughs> like <laughs> yeah me just being like a girl and you were drawing a pair of o'neills and a side fringe and i was like totally me that's <laughs> I I have a thing about the this film which is that it was in my house as a child it was uh it was taped on the same VHS tape as a film that was for me um so it was it might have been Babe or it might have been Robin Hood it, it was a film I watched a, a lot of uh, like a lot and then underneath it written in ink uh with my father's handwriting was inter- in interview with a vampire uh, mm-hmm. So in my head, it's always been interview with a vampire. Um, and I remember my mother showing it to me and pointing at it and being like, never, ever watch this. This is a very, <laughs> very scary film. Like, do not put this on. This is for adults. As soon as Babe finishes, you press stop on that VHS. You come you into press me. Stop. As soon as you see the Maltesers ad, you turn it off. That's <laughs> it. It's over. And so I thought for years until yesterday that this was pretty much a very intense horror film so much so that I asked my partner last night to sit and watch it with me I was like I don't know I I have, I have to watch it for juvenilia like I don't know if it's going to be scary or what so will you watch it with me and he was like yeah I've never seen it and then we watched it and he's just like stony faced just like <laughs> trying not to enjoy it and I'm just like this this is great Tom Cruise is having a ball um so yeah it's a very very different to what I expected it to be going in a delightful surprise isn't it mad how the things that your parents are scared of or nervous about when you're a child totally take this outsized thing in your head like my parents like were scared of like the sex pistols and I was like very (laughs) nervous with the sex pistols for a long time growing up and obviously interview vampire is the same or like yeah anything like that yeah 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 uh, yeah my mom um 
uh, was wary about watching Ghost for years. And then we watched it mm. together and now it's like one of our favorite films. But just even just having the title Ghost, she's like, oh, I don't know about that. Like, that, mm, mm. And I, when I was a teenager, I read The Exorcist um, and she didn't want it in the house. The book of The Exorcist. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> Not a religious woman, but there you go. Uh, okay, so Sophia, for anybody who doesn't know what Interview with the Vampire is, give us a brief what it is. Yeah. Interview with the Vampire, big question. Now, what isn't it? Interview, va- Interview with the Vampire is it? <laughs> 1994, okay, it is a gothic horror melodrama based on the book of the same name by Anne Rice. The book came out in 1976, but there was lots of hassle with the, with the production companies trying to get it made and the rights and everything, so it didn't get made until the 90s. Um, it was directed by Irish director Neil Jordan, um, who actually Anne Rice, wrote, Anne Rice wrote the screenplay, but Neil Jordan did a lot of heavy editing on it, but just didn't take a credit on it. And it stars an absolutely stacked cast of mm. a, a peak 1994 Brad Pitt. And this is before he was like superstar Brad Pitt. This is just like, I'm, I'm just trying to get my face out there as a lead actor, Brad Pitt, which is... <laughs> Thing to behold, and then um, a little unknown actor called Tomas Cruz. I don't know if you've heard of him, mm-hmm. yes. And he was actually very controversial casting for this. Anne Rice herself actually condemned, she was so upset. It was meant to be Daniel Day Lewis, first of all, but he was in the middle of in the name of the father. We went through all different initially. Look, when we the... all make bad decisions in our career, I bet Daniel Day Lewis is regretting <laughs> that until, until this day. I hope he's keeping himself busy and. Uh, <laughs> If, if if you're listening, Daniel Delius, um, give us a call. I'll, I'll have a chat with you, Grant. Mm. And do come on the show also. Please do. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, absolutely insane. Like they went through, it was 20 years trying to get made. The initially, they thought they would cast John Travolta, first of all, when Paramount were going to do it. They wanted John Travolta as the interviewer, I think. But luckily he kind of aged past that role by the time they made it. A completely different film and actually the interviewer was meant to be river phoenix and he died only two weeks before the filming oh. started so christian slater who was his friend took over and donated his whole fee to some of uh river phoenix's favorite um charities so that's just uh sorry by the way if you went to like weird little details please stop stop me and get me back on track because i'll go off no, on weird we are all about details every single detail you have we want yeah yeah Okay. Um, yeah, so it's all this different drama trying to get it made. And then they finally were like, who is going to be our list Because obviously he's like the, the hinge, like the, the cornerstone of the whole thing. He's like, you know, this iconic character. And so when they finally settled on Tom Cruise, because they needed somebody with star power, star power, because, you know, Brad Pitt wasn't the Brad Pitt we know today yet. And Anne Rice was furious with them for picking Tom Cruise. She was like, this is not my vampire Lestat. No, not on my watch. And she took out like a two page ad in the newspaper being like, I condemn this casting. It's <gasps> And everyone like obviously lost the plot because this was terrible for PR. And it already had like a cult following from fans of the book. And they were like, we cannot make this movie without her on board. Anne so- Rice, what a messy bitch. I kind of love it. <laughs> I love the way she stuck to her guns. She was just like, no, she'd been paid a fortune. And she was like, no, it's my, this is what I feel. So fair. Not my vampire. <laughs> Icy queen. Mm. Initially, she talked about casting Cher as Louis at one stage. So she has some wild ideas about what she thinks. Release the rice edit <laughs> immediately. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, I digress. So we've got Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise. We've got uh, Christian Slater, who took over from River Phoenix. 
Antonio Banderas as, uh, as he comes in later in the film, Stephen Ray. And I think one of the best performances from a child actor ever to be put on screen, uh, Kristen Dunst as Claudia, which is just cemented in my brain forever and ever as a stunning performance and such a complex, brilliant character as well. Like there's been nothing like it, I don't think so. That, that's the film. It's, um, yeah, it's an interview with the vampire. It's a vampire offering to tell his life story to a mere mortal in the hopes that um, some lesson will be learned from it because he's a, a very broody, <laughs> broody and, and sad vampire and he wants people to learn. So that's how it starts. It's him offering his life story to this mortal. Can I ask about the beginning, right? Because I, I watched it essentially for the first time last night. And did they meet in an alley? How did they come to know one another? Because I found that part confusing. So in the film adaptation, it starts um, after those beautiful like helicopter and crane shots and everything. It um, they go they come into this room and it's unexplained. They're just already in this room, this weird asymmetrical no man's land. Nobody seems to own it. It's not a home. And the idea is that I think they mentioned something like Louis says, you followed me here because you're intrigued by me. So it's meant to be this idea that this report was sort of so lured in by how mesmeric Louis was and he just happened to be a biographer. So the idea is that he kind of knew he was a, a journalist or a biographer and he sort of maybe did some like vampiric, you know, come hither I because see. it's not easy to be followed. Like, I mean, you'd know if somebody's following you. So I think the suggestion is that he was like, oh, I this is my opportunity to tell my story. This guy's a storyteller. Let's lure him. Yeah. It's a little vague, I'll be honest. Not all of it's perfect. <laughs> for for a journalist, the the um I mean the mental leap you have to do, like we're very set in the real world. Like it's very um it's very clear that the filmmakers want us to think that this is happening in the real world, in the world that we live in now. And I hope that the journalists who are working today would be asking a few more questions before just immediately <laughs> believing because <laughs> whenever it, whenever it cut back to uh christian slater and just the absolute like belief yeah he he's like oh and then what happened and i'm like are you not asking anything <laughs> like a bit of proof <laughs> can you fly like as he lifts them all or no he he zooms over to the other side of the room mm. but i'm like i need more than that man you know i'm i'm gonna need I... I'd believe that, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to need some yeah. kind of sepia kind of picture of you with like Harry Houdini yeah. or something. And you look at mm. holding a newspaper from 1890. <laughs> like, I, I, I you think... want like the Forrest Gump version of If You're the Vampire, <laughs> yeah. where he's like meeting the Beatles, meeting yeah. JFK. <laughs> <laughs> the whole other film <laughs> that hasn't been made. <laughs> yeah, in the swing in 60s. Um, but... Yeah, I do. I, I I loved whenever they were kind of in the room together because, um, yeah, just the absolute like belief, like unquestioning belief. Mm. And you can see the, the kind of the early devotion to the lifestyle. Like you can tell at the end of this film, this guy's going to want to be a vampire. Like there's no two ways about it. Um, but like Christian Slater would be a very good vampire is the thing. Fabulous He's vampire. right to think it. Mm. He has the look. He does. He does. It feels like you know those journalists who like talk to ChatGPT and are convinced it's sentient. It's yeah. that level of credulity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I I asked ChatGPT to tell me its life story, but as a vampire, <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened. Um, okay, so when you were 
um, a wee girl, what did you make of Brad Pitt's face? Well, How was that? <laughs> How's that for you? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's see. So when I when I discovered this film, it was because I was I was a theatre kid, and there was kind of talk around of people wanting to do like an amateur version of it in my local town. And they had asked me if I wanted to play Claudia, and I had no oh. idea. I know, right? But this is before I'd seen it, and I was like, I was already into vampires. I loved Buffy. Again, I was too young to be watching that as well, but I was like, yeah, for sure. So I went home and I begged my mother. I was like, can you get this DVD for me or whatever? And um, she did because it was like, it's for, it's for my work, mom. It's for theater. Do you know what I mean? So she, we put it on. So she knew I was watching it. And it was like, do you know, like the Dolly Zoom and Jaws, where mm. everything, it was like that with everything unseen with Brad Pitt, who I'd never considered because I was like Brad, I've heard him from like I knew him from like the Shania Twain song if that was out at the time and that was it yeah. I know his name no interest and I was like who who is this person on earth like I mean something shifted fundamentally in my brain and you know that feeling where you can't express the same thing with Legolas from Lord of the Rings where I was like mom I really really want this boy to be my friend like I, I don't know what it is I desperately need to be friends with him like, no yeah. I need like, friends and mom was like I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Do you know what I mean? So, Keeping you away from long-haired you know, boys for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lifelong failure keeping away from long-haired boys, I'm telling you. And uh, probably that was it. Like, honestly, that's, I think I saw, and I saw kind of young Kristen Dunst in that kind of ambiguous relationship. And it was like a little bit like daddy. It was a little bit com- I'm like say less I'm already intrigued I'm I'm in here you know I'm here for <laughs> I mean I know it's problematic and we can talk about that later if you want like oh what you know Chris and John's relationship but um I was obsessed and I literally thought okay so 11 year olds can shift Brad Pitt's okay good <laughs> I, again- I love that as the takeaway from the film it's like oh yeah it's possible for me excellent it's possibly a worse <laughs> takeaway that Christian Slater's character has at the end of the film He's like, you've learned nothing from this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's um, deadly, dude. <laughs> I found, um, so I, I, I never, I never got Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt was never my guy. Um, but along with absolutely everybody else in, in the film, I was looking at him thinking like, yeah, you, he is beautiful in it. Like his, mm. his kind of, um, his hair is so it's not like long man hair it's like long girl hair it's like really feminine and healthy and like glossy and well looked after and I realized that I'm like oh yeah like long long hair on men can look like that there's no hair hair doesn't have a gender it's just that most men with long hair aren't doing whatever Brad Pitt is doing to his hair or whatever the wig people we're doing to that that wig in that film but when I was watching it last night I appreciated his beauty but it was Tom Cruise for me that stole my heart I was like this man is having the most fun anyone's ever had on a film set that wasn't the cast of Mamma Mia like well I was watching with Harry my partner um I was like what do you make of Tom Cruise's performance are you enjoying it and he was like he has two settings he's either uh, snarling or screaming and I think he meant that as a bad thing and I was like no this is that's a fantastic thing he only needs two settings he's either snarling screaming or just kind of like launching himself across rooms but like the absolute pinnacle moment for me in the film is when he comes back out of the lake and he's all 
dead and shit looking and he's playing the piano <laughs> like this the like the curtains are like blowing in front of him to like partially obscure him and he's like you've been a very very bad girl <laughs> oh so stop that funny oh my goodness that line has like rippled through the decades to still be in my mind it's the way he goes you've been a very naughty little girl and then Kristen does does this like gasp she's like <gasps> and like yes. as he, <laughs> I don't understand these feelings and he looks monstrous <laughs> It's like high, I looked it up because I thought of, I didn't know what it was. It's Hyde Sonata 59. It's like a bit of that. And I'm like, I downloaded the sheet music last night. I don't even play piano, but I'm like, I'm determined. Like it's just, it's haunting. That scene is iconic. Yeah. Rings it's through. amazing. It's so, so good. And that was the bit that I, that I like, I really laughed at, but it wasn't, it, it was just in this kind of like high camp, I can't believe that this is the delivery of that line that they allowed to be in the film and not in a bad way, not because it's bad, but it's like you can just imagine some squares in the room being like, no, it's too camp. And and there weren't any squares. There were no squares. <laughs> Anne Rice was out. Like <laughs> We've gotten rid of her. I will say in Anne Rice's defense, once they had finished the film before, between a screening and them releasing it, they sent her the version and she retracted her statement. She put on another ad saying, I was wrong. Tom Cruise is magical. I am mesmerized. I take it back. He is. <laughs> she saw it and went, oh, shit, this guy, he embodied Lestat. Like he did. He went full drama and he's like manic pixie. He's like Faye at some point. He's just like this beautiful yeah. ethereal. His, his performance is outstanding. And it's a real departure for him as an actor. He was doing like rom-coms, action, lead, you know, like these. Yeah. I actually have his, like his run of films here. It was A Few Good Men, The Firm, Interview with the Vampire, Mission Impossible, Jerry Maguire. So it's completely this, insane, yeah. like, it's like he had a breakdown mm. after yeah. doing, playing two lawyers in a row. He's like, I need to do something. And also, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to get someone who's part of like a secretive society that like maybe murders people, Tom Cruise not the worst person to get for that I would say because he's an excellent actor and mm -hmm. we don't want to be sued for libel. No, no, but like other people, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he has. There is a. a it's so funny because I was watching it and I was looking at Tom Cruise's face and I'm looking at Kirsten Dunst's face. And Kirsten Dunst is a person in Hollywood who has allowed herself to get older. Uh, mm. Tom Cruise looks maybe five to ten years older now than he did in that film <laughs> and Kirsten Dunst now looks like an adult woman and it's so it's but it was it was always so subtle with Tom Cruise over the years you mm. didn't notice him not aging until you watch him in something younger and you're like oh no it, it just it didn't happen for him all of that Scientology well, actually... has really helped his faith mm. Yeah, probably for sure. But also, I think part of um, Neil Jordan's um, like thinking in casting him was that he was such a star at that time and he wanted he, he said he already lives a life sort of like Lestat. He's already there. He has mm. to be careful about around. He has to protect his image a lot. It's this idea of Hollywood and bought youth and, you know, bought immortality and the fact that the you'd have such charisma and influence that you would make ripples when you enter a room. And he said some, someone like Tom Cruise and obviously Brad Pitt with his, his he, he knew he'd be a star in his beauty. They're like, they're already living that life. So it's not too mad for them to, to make that leap. So it's funny you say that about Scientology and the uh, 
all that alleged alleged stuff that will keep from getting sued <laughs> yeah saying. yeah but yeah but the, no you're, you're totally right because like that is what Hollywood is. And, you know, the fact that Kirsten Dunst is a person, is a woman who has gotten older. She is a, she's a kind of a rare case in terms of women in Hollywood. Um, and like, yeah, that's the, the sort of like, he, he does look kind of, I, I feel like he looks the part in no matter what sort of a century he was in throughout the film. And mm. I think it's a testament to, like the costuming and the styling and the makeup and everything that is in like I I was so blown away by the details in, in the costuming like there was there was nothing there was no detail too small for them to kind of fuss over like it was an absolutely beautiful film to look at if you're at all interested in like historic fashion in particular like historic men's fashions and the frills and I was watching it being like why aren't men wearing like a little bit of blush on their face anymore like look how beautiful these boys look you know yeah the production design is, no it is stunning looking like every single I think they were actually there were two Oscars one of which being I think it was production design and a kind of encapsulated costume and special effects, I think. I'm not sure. But um no, stunning. Like the their their townhouse they had in New Orleans, which is all the plants and the ornate chandeliers and every single one of Claudia's dresses. And yeah, like then when they're out being all rakish and beautiful and foppish, they're it's absolutely stunning and gorgeous. Yeah. Like Yeah, hmm. it's beautiful and they're both so beautiful in it. Um did Kirsten Dunst get a nomination for this? No. No, they only she had the two Oscars. Yeah, she got a Golden Globe nomination, I think, and a Did Chainsaw she? Award. I think she won the Chainsaw Award for Best Debut or something. What's so, the Chainsaw Award? Uh, some kind of horror award. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense, yeah. Although yeah, Tom Cruise she... and Brad Pitt got the Razzie for Worst On-Screen Couple, which I think is very unfair, because their <laughs> chemistry is off the charts. <laughs> Like, oh, are you joking? Yeah. Like, yeah. oh the Razzies my God. are shit. I hate the Razzies. Just fuck the Razzies. By the by, yeah. They yeah. don't respect true art. Like, yeah, because I mean, we want to fuck each other in this film. Yeah, we need to talk about, like, not just those two. Like, mm. every man in this film wants to fuck every other man in this film, so long as mm-hmm. they are vampires and, and, uh, Christian Slater. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense because they're all, you know, absolutely beautiful immortal you know if if, even if you're a straight man from the 1800s you live long enough to to think about it if you're a vampire (laughs) what is you you see kind of gender roles change enough over the centuries that you're like I don't actually think this matters I don't think any of it's real um my god their chemistry like it's it is potent they're, they are sucking the blood out of one another and pouring blood into one another. I mean, we don't need to... It's it's not subtext. Like, it's yeah. text, you know? It becomes... It's text, yeah. It's ex, it's completely explicit in some of it. Do you know what I mean? And I think in the, in the world, it's even more explained about how virus you sexuality and, you know, platonic love and romantic love. But in, in the film alone, it's they're not so explicit with... I think uh, Lestat and Louis, but when it comes to Armand later on, Antonio Banderas' mm. character, it becomes so explicit. They're talking about companionship. They're holding each other's faces. They're like millimeters away from each other. It's just mm. on the screen. And the jealousy between Claudia for Armand and Armand for Claudia and asking whose companion is whom. And even, but even the fact that at the start of the film, they were a family with two dads and a daughter, like a happy little family. Yeah. 
massage where they are happy and like raising their little daughter is one of the, I think it's because there's very little humor in the film and the only humor comes from Lestat I think but Lestat and Claudia in that montage is so enjoyable to watch as like a dad raising a kid like his exasperation oh goodness she's killed again in the house I told her yeah. not to kill in the house like, sorry dad you know it's just so delightful to watch as like just two queer daddies raising their daughter but yeah it's absolutely completely it's not even queer subtext it's it's just they're it's you know text as you said yeah yeah because like uh let's start when when louis comes back towards the end he's like are, are you back are you coming back to me like it's clear that he spent all of these years i'm not sure how many years but it's like what like a century or more than that yeah maybe a century or something um like pining for him and missing him and thinking over this relationship that has broken down and it it's love that he feels for him and I think they feel love for one another and like the love that Louis feels for him is much more complicated by the fact that he is a kind of a he's a companion but he's also a father in a way because he was the one that made him a vampire and he's also the father to his daughter and but his daughter who's you know growing up and is having complicated feelings about him like there's the 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 lines that are blurred in this film about relationships and even like you know touching almost on kind of incestuous um kind of taboo subjects are really um i don't know like they're they're quite they're they're more than what I expected from a kind of a blockbuster in the 1990s. I don't know if this was a blockbuster, was it? Was it a was, it was it a big. hit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. And yeah. it was like an extravision staple for a long time as well. Yeah. You see extravision with lots and lots of copies of it in our local extravision. Yeah. And there's like there there is a lot of kind of blur blurring lines and and kind of complicating questions about, you know, what our relationships are to one another and how much of that is is set by our sort of like our mortality and it's just so interesting it was just like it was asking no it didn't answer any of the questions I don't think that it asked necessarily but that's not its job to do that you know it's it's sort of it's just there to kind of complicate things a bit and how queer it is I think is is like it's so much more ahead of its time than I expected this film to be considering it was out in what, the, the mid 90s 1994 yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know like and for that not to have been something that has um you know endured about it necessarily like I think people think of Interview with a Vampire um as a vampire film more than they think of it as a as a queer film i might be completely wrong about that as a the, period queer period film as well yeah mostly. yeah yeah there might be gays listening to this now being like what are you talking yeah. about <laughs> yeah and we can only apologize yeah and we can only apologize but i mean i yeah it's i just the questions it was asking about that stuff the stuff it was complicating i thought was really 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 fascinating particularly with uh kirsten dunce's character playing a 30 mm. year old woman who desires being desired and who desires becoming a woman. And it's really heartbreaking when she's looking through that window at that fully grown woman who has hips and breasts and is, you know, is a grown up sexual being. And, and she is a woman who, you, you know, has 30 years of experience in her mind, but she will never 
have a relationship like that woman in the window and she will never have you know the feeling of what it is to be a woman and to be desired and I just thought that was so like it was a really brave thing to do and you would want to have the right actor doing it and like thank god it was Dunst doing it but like I just thought that whole aspect of it was maybe to me the most fascinating part of the film was that kind of for her like her strand her motivations yeah absolutely and I think like uh Claudia's character has been the most like long-lasting fascination for most fans and even the cult fans who who have liked it that maybe maybe it did have kind of like a cult LGBTQI like following that I don't know about and I'm not sure like probably <laughs> but I think um it was explained a bit more I think in the books there's like a thing where they're so they're not really explicitly interested in sex I think there's a passage where I think Claudia asks Louis to explain sexual intercourse to her and he does but he's a bit like it's this it's, he was a bit meh about the whole thing this is what you did I did it when I was human kind of thing so it's not as if they don't explicitly do it now it's just not their priority now mm. so I think that's why between the relations can get blurred because they're very yeah. romantic they're very platonic but they're not necessarily mm. sexual with no, they have this this romance. It's mostly like they're, you know, ace, they're kind of asexual, but also sort of romantically bi or something like that. There's like yeah. a few different sorts of floating around with them. But one thing that really hooked me as a kid was because I was so obsessed by the fact that I was like obsessed with, you know, could I marry a Brad Pitt at my age or whatever? That I was, I knew there was something going on that I didn't fully understand, and I would, I would cling to any line in the film that would give me a clue because I knew there was something below the text I wasn't getting. Like the fact that when the stat turns Claudius because he says you need company, Louis, more congenial than mine, and I was like, I was looking up the word congenial, and I was asking my mum what that meant, but I knew I wasn't getting the subtext and the connotations and what that really meant. And when Armand goes, she's your lover, and he goes, no, my beloved, you know, and there's all these things. She says, my, my father, my love, and then they, they have a kiss, which is very controversial because apparently Kristen Dunst was very uncomfortable having to do this with an adult Brad Pitt, which obviously is obviously not a good thing. But there is this moment and I remember I nearly had like a laser beam burnt into the DVD at that moment because I would be pausing to see I'm like, are they kissing? What are they doing? Like, what is this relationship? So it, it is, it's companion. It's, it's all these things uh, loaded into one and about like Claudia's, you know, her 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 frozen adolescence. She's like arrested in this child's body. And in the book, she's actually five years old, but there was no feasible way five-year-old to play the complexity of a character like Claudia obviously mm. so she's like she's the a child in a human body then a vampire in a child's body and then a woman vampire in a child's body and the fact that we see that arc from an 11 year old actor and her grappling with what this means and then her eventual when she, when she eventually loses the plot with her two fathers because one took her life one gave her this new cursed one and she and it's harrowing when she's screaming mm did it which one of you did this to me and it's it's like peak cinema I can't get over that scene and how like it's I don't know any child actor who's topped it it's absolutely just it's a stunning piece of cinema and like you said her witnessing that private woman moment of the woman bathing it's just such a mm. such a beautiful they said you know do you want her equating their their POV is always in terms of like desire for a feed or for lust and she says 
I want to be here. Mm. And it's just so heartbreaking. It is. Yeah, I just, I really felt like that performance in that moment, it all happened in her eyes. Like she, she's such a good like eye actor, like a really like micro face actor. Um, and she, she really embodies that. You see a change in her from the beginning to when she's older. And it's not something she doesn't change her voice. She doesn't necessarily change how she holds herself. Like, because she's, she's playing as, as you said, an adult vampire in a human child's body. But that, that adult vampire is being treated by everyone around her like a doll. Mm. So she also has that sort of, you know, element to how she composes herself and how she thinks and, uh, or, or how she acts and how she speaks. And when she's with Louis at the ball, and they just look like this uh, when they're in Paris and they just look like this father daughter kind of duo. And yeah. she's looking up at him with the, with, with the adoration of, of, of a child to her father. But behind that, there is this other thing, this companionship, this romance that is not sexual. Because I was really interested in, in the kind of the. The sexuality of how the vampires uh feed and this is something that obviously goes back to dracula like this is something that is part of the vampire genre and it is very sexy like the the scenes where because they're mostly um for for a lot of the scenes their their victims are sex workers and it, it it's a very kind of sexualized kind of a uh scenario that they're in it's it's a lot of breasts and neck and like kind of exposed skin and there's there's one where you can see like her vein and her neck and it's so it, it just looks so like sexy and scary and and the kind of um and how alive they all look and feel I think was caught really well with how they were shot but I was curious about like do they want to sleep with these people is when when um Lestat, is, is it Lestat is that his name mm. Tom Cruise yeah, yeah. When Lestat is like flirting with these women um, or and, and men when but before he makes them his victim, when he's being really like sexy and seducing them, is he enjoying this? Is this something that is, you know, that is getting him off or is it just is it him playing with his food or is it just the way that he approaches um kind of ensnaring people you know and I found that part like unclear in a good way because I just did not know what the sexuality of these vampires were and I think that that is a good decision on the on the part of the filmmakers because it makes it kind of timeless yeah it makes it so that in 2024 now this uh, this kind of ambiguity around sex um still feels kind of fresh still feels kind of like new do you know mm. if that makes sense um but yeah alan had you seen this before or had you seen it for the first time no it's my first time as well yeah okay um yeah when i finished i turned to my wife and said that was some high quality trash yeah like i've i i loved it but i i I said to Andrea, I don't know how to talk about what else sounded like I'm insulting it, but I did genuinely love it. I think it's, I think everything, it looks incredible. I think the, the whole vampire theater show, which we haven't talked about yet, um, was horrifying. Mm. It's one of the, like, it's going to stick with me for a while when they bring in a real woman into the show and everybody thinks it's part of the show. And then 
kill her in front of everybody. Yeah. And she is genuinely distressed and then thinks she might get salvation from her remand and then doesn't. I think she could have done more to... (laughs) I just think (laughs) if you just say, I'm not part of the act, (laughs) this isn't... Please help me. You don't know in that situation if the audience know you're not part of the act or not. You know? Oh, oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Oh. And I think... They oh, never that's added a whole say, other horror yeah. layer, actually. Mm, right? Yeah. I get it now. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, Jada Pinkett Smith at the start of Scream 2 mm-hmm. up on the yeah. stage as she's been stabbed. Um, but I was going to say something else there. It's gone. A lot Sorry, of, oh, that's my to, On total um, straight guy talking about straight guy stuff. A lot of really good fire in this film. <laughs> because it's 1994. A lot of stuff getting set on fire. Really good. There's nothing Louis <laughs> likes more than just yeah. burning down all his problems. Burning shit with real flames. Yeah, I think if it was five years later, it would look shit, but it looks yeah. amazing now. Yeah, yeah. No, that is, that is Louis' go-to coping mechanism is just like toxic yeah. boys and fire. as soon as he needs to leave town, he's like fire. But like you're right, the practice <laughs> him is like uh, the the plantation he owns, which he also didn't talk about mm-hmm. how terrible it is. Guy is a sympathetic plantation owner. It's like yeah, more not, slavery not so good. in this film than I expected it to be. Yeah, um, and and the slaves really like him. Yeah, it was the worst part of it was that scene with a uh, young Tandy Newton Yvette coming in, being like, "Master, we're so worried about you and your friend," mm-hmm. and I really sympathy for this guy who is not only a monstrous vampire but a slave owner, and we're meant to be like, "Yeah, yeah it's really not fair." With this guy. Um, so that's very problematic and exploitative, obviously, of the of the slaves he owned. But um, when he was taking those that fiery branch from curtain to curtain, he looked amazing and the effects were amazing. Yeah. And at least mm. three at the end. Mm. Mm. I, I do think that because I, the other thing I was worrying, I was thinking about the whole time. I was like, all of these places he lives are incredible and I'm like it's the insurance money from the last place he burnt down like every single place he burns down he's getting a big payout and then he gets to buy this beautiful place in Paris or wherever he might be he is not living on rats at all ever um as as soon as he gives in he's like yeah I think I quite like luxury quite liked quite like looking good feeling good about myself um surrounding myself with things that bring me joy <laughs> expensive things and then when he has to leave he's just like I will set fire to all my expensive things I will thank them and then I will let them go and <laughs> we'll move on to a new area of my life but yeah first sign of trouble Louis just set fire to everything <laughs> like it happens like three times in this film <laughs> it's like you need you need to do something else man you need to stay in one place and and um deal with your problems yeah yeah but the 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 theater kids as i called them when i texted Mm. you uh, (laughs) i think they were like the most um they were the part of the film that i i don't want to say i liked the least because i enjoyed them but i did find um just all of like next to antonio bandera who is you know you know like and he's so charismatic and he's got that long hair and he's got that accent and he's just like like wow and then there's all these people around him who are kind of like 
I don't know, they're all kind of snarly and yeah. they're, mm-hmm. they're playing the vampire in a different film, I think. They're kind of... I know, I totally agree. I think the only thing that saved it for me was that I saw an interview where Stephen Ray was talking about where he was coming from. Because again, like me, I feel like Santiago, whose character is so unlikable. And I didn't want to hate the Irish actor in the film. But I was like, this, mm. this clown in Media Dell'Arte, like, character. Apart from the, the Fred Astaire, apart from that, it was I so... That was great but apart from that the mirroring and again i was a theater kid so i was like i get it but this is irritating and so when they went down to these catacombs where they're all these just like cackling ensemble like some cheap show i also mm. just like that but i they did a lot of research into the kind of the french sort of theater they had at the time and um, kind of comedy francais and there was a place called the grand guignot grand Juinot, i'm gonna get it wrong but it's they actually had a theater where they would perform these kind of macabre acts like they would do kind of sort of it's like clumsy surgery and transfusions and things on stage for so I think they were trying to channel that a bit but I think in terms of with the, like getting in with the tone of the rest of the film that seemed to be so even though it was melodramatic it was sort of earnest in the melodrama there was a sort mm-hmm. of a like lines as cheesy as you've been a very naughty little girl or whatever they got away with it because they meant they meant every word and that was that flamboyant character mm. so when you brought in these sort of less complex cackling characters it was i'm just so glad they got set on fire and chopped up at the end so yeah yeah i did, yeah, I did yeah, want like louis to go oh, fuck off would you to him at some yeah. like it's when he just go shut up yeah, because like he's he spent all these years looking yeah. for his kind, and what he mm. found was sorry, Sophia, theater kids, and like <laughs> it's not necessarily, you know, the kind of the image he had in his mind when he was thinking about finding his own kind. People like him, people of great taste, you know, people mm. who can wear a good suit. And it's like, no, these are people who are the same on stage as they are off stage. They act the same in their catacomb, which was beautiful, by the way. This, the, you know, that scene, the the shot when when they're first walking down the stairs and you can kind of see all all these little like holes in the wall where maybe there's coffins in there or there's something going on in there and it's all dark but it's not it's dark and underground but it's not dingy it's still really beautiful and beautifully lit so I appreciate that they 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 did something nice with the place um as a group but again I think that's probably all Antonio Banderas like he's probably the one putting up the twinkly lights and making sure that the that the candles are lit the rest of these people I I don't know what they're doing but um, but yeah, they they sort of took me out of it a li- a little bit, um, just because they were so different in 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 their performance, or because they were, you know, they weren't given characters. They were, you know, but the bit on the stage where that really like uh, I found kind of frightening was when they lay the woman down and then they all kind of run in to feed on her mm. like rats. I loved that. I thought the kind of how they physically did that, how the actors physically did that was really um, was really effective. It felt like they were scurrying towards her like like rats. Mm. And it was like, don't want that. Claudia's face during that whole scene is amazing. Because it, it's just, mm. this is Chris again, like where it's not like a child being disgusted or scared. It's like a grown woman going like, this is... 
you know yeah yeah it's a really yeah. it's a really good bit of like Kirsten Dunn's performance I just wish that they'd live long enough to like just go be in Cats or Starlight Express they feel very like Lloyd Webber that's, vampires that's exactly that is you know I've been trying to pinpoint what it is and it's they are the cast of Cats <laughs> that's what they are when they're when they're like looking at Louis and they're like they might as well be kind of uh, you know like there's something very yeah very kind of stage menace about them that mm. I can't actually take that seriously um but whereas whenever um Lestat is doing something that's kind of you know same sort of you know vein of theatre in his violence I just completely believe him like I totally believe that this is the way he wants like he's so jaded and old that he needs to find new ways to kind of entertain himself while he's you know going through this cycle mm. of just like kill eat kill eat um I wanted to talk about the va- the vampires the, the vampire rules in it because I guess yeah. every every story about vampires has different rules about what happens with the vampires and I really liked the beginning when he was sort of laughing off the garlic and the the crucifixes but he was like no the coffins is a thing um and the sunlight is a thing and mm. I just really liked that as, as a kind of a, a world building uh sort of exercise in the film yeah so because the, they obviously they used Malloy or the boy as he's called in the book at the start as like a framing device for the, the narrator through the whole thing but they had to obviously choose with mythology which mythologies we were going to follow in this and so they threw in that line about uh, Dracula being like the demented notion demented Irishman or something like that but what I don't understand about so they've they use the main thing was to establish if you drink dead blood that's a very mm. bad thing it was that's so they could like for stats demise later and then the sunlight for Claudia's demise but the coffins thing I don't really understand they never explain why or mm. why it's still because if you look at Dracula or something like that, the reason Dracula outlies that he needs a coffin is because he has, I think it's the soil of his homeland in his coffin, and that's what he needs mm. that for. Whereas here it's just somewhere to sleep. And actually, like at the start of, they don't use it in the film, but the, they, I mean, they share coffins. I mean, Claudia shares the coffin with Louis. That's they one sleep of my in favorite bits in the whole film yeah. is when is when she's sleeping in his coffin and then they get her her own coffin and it's this white child's coffin that is usually when you see one of those it's like the, you know it's the saddest image in the world is a child's coffin but they play it so it's so playful in the films like no this is her bed you know cute mm. and it's her little feet tip getting out of her coffin and tiptoeing around the beams of sunlight to climb into daddy's coffin yeah. i mean it's and so macabre it's beautiful that's, that's why that montage of happy families is one of my favorite parts of it it's yeah. like it's just i think that really shine i know the melodrama is great but i just loved that part of it but it, it does make no sense why why they still need the coffins <laughs> i agree and i didn't i didn't quite understand it. It, it it felt like they wanted to do that scene with yeah. the you know, and and quite rightly because it's beautiful. It is one of my favorite scenes in the film. I think it's so sweet and so cute, um, and and so, something so girly about it. Um, and it's also two two dads buying their daughter her first, yeah. you know, her bed, and they picked out a pretty one for her. And I just like I just think all of that is so sweet, but think, it doesn't make sense. But they just 
full time between her girlishness and her childishness and the the darkness of the situation is what makes her character so, so amazing. When she finally loses the plot and turns on the staff, when she's had enough and she's probably in her 30s or 40s at this stage when she goes, right, that's it. We need to get out of this toxic situation, Louis. We're getting rid of him. But even after she um, deceives him, she poisons him, she, she, the violence of her slitting his throat and then she yeah. stands there his blood cools towards her little satin shoes. Like, Louis. And then he has to lift her up because she doesn't want her little satin shoes to get bloody. Now, I, I didn't know yeah. if this was a juxtaposition between the, the childishness and her violence, because that is so interesting, or whether that he, mm. she didn't want to be tainted by his blood any more than she already had been through coursing through her own veins. But it was mm. just, I see the, the girlhood of it and the wanting to protect her shoes and even her dolls and the dead body being buried under her dolls, just like another doll. It was just, there's yeah. so much that's, that's fascinating. And that's so interesting, I think, to, to, well, to, to women or to everyone. Yeah, I, I I think that that scene with the blood kind of encroaching towards her feet is, again, a really beautiful shot. You know, you've got these very dainty, pretty, tiny little shoes in the, and these gorgeous little white socks. And it's all very doll like. And then this blood that's coming towards her. And and it's something that she has done. It's her violence. But she like I I read it as kind of like, no, I, this has now got nothing more to do with me in the same sort of callous way as she would treat a person that she has killed and drank their blood. It's like, I'm done with this now. Like I don't, um, I'm, I'm finished. I do, I no longer have a need for this. We just need to get rid of them. But I suppose an, another vampire rule that I am, I think a bit, still a bit unclear about is the immortality thing because they are not Im- immortal. Like vampires die in this film or kind of die. like, you know, Lestat dies. Um, uh, Claudia dies. She she dies. Dies. Um, Claudia and Lestat doesn't die, die. They die, and that and that's sunlight. Lestat hmm. doesn't die, but he he's. I don't really know what happens with him. Like he's he's not alive when they put him in the lake. You know. It's it's very unclear. I know. I guess he he gets poisoned and then he survives off the blood of the alligator and then he's burnt. But he comes mm. back after a couple of days after the poisoning and he's already like black and he's you know discolored and his blonde hair is now dark and all this, which I don't know the the, the theory on that, but okay. But then after he's burnt and he's doing that beautiful like crawling along the ceiling, it's so disturbing and gorgeous. Mm. But it's it's decades later when. Louis returns and finds him in a crypt. So he's still he's still not dead. He seems quite unkillable because I mean a character like Lestat, you don't want him to die. So that's just that's his section, I guess. But he's yeah. also weak and decades have passed. And I know part of it is like, well, he didn't have Louis and he's also fighting against the modernity outside. He can't keep up with life, and that's because maybe he was weak. And he's living off wrath. Yeah. It's the quality of the blood. Yeah. Yeah. So he, so you so he looks like shit because he's he's li- he's feeding on the rats as well, yeah. but it's yeah. like, yeah, I yeah, I, I the, the the immortality bit I I found confusing because when he died I was like oh so you 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 can kill them, but then he was back and then he wasn't or like you know kind of but then he drinks Christian Slater's blood in the car 
yeah. and immediately looks beautiful again. Um, yeah. So maybe it is the human blood that kind of keeps them beautiful as opposed to the rats and the poodles. <laughs> that was what kind of got Louis over his sort of, you know, he didn't want to give up the last parts of his humanity and start drinking human blood, but he realised the difference in himself between humans and rats and how he didn't feel so sad all the time. But that's why there's mm. always so parallels between vampires and eating disorders as well, by the way. I think there's a lot of, of stuff to do with that as well. But he, um, yeah, I guess it's human blood versus rat blood. You are what you eat. And I, I don't think <laughs> that those are the only two options. I, you know, there are cows. Uh, there are sheep. You, know? you need to get to there, a cow or a sheep, though. There are pigs. He's not strong uh, enough. Yeah, but I, I mean, yeah. just sort of like, I don't like even dogs and cats, you know, mm. like in for penny. I, are, is it rats or humans? Like these are the two that we have. <laughs> the SFX apartment could only make animatronic rats. It was a bit too much of an act. Like mm. animatronic. Well, they do. He, sorry, he does have poodles at one stage. He goes for some poodles. The poodles. Oh, the yeah. poor poodles. As soon as I saw those poodles, I was like, they're getting eaten. Mm. Oh yeah, poor, poor granny were the poodles. But also yeah. they didn't, they didn't the, oh, I'll only drink the blood of like murderers and rapists. Like usually they go down that route, which is, yeah. he was just, he was like, rats are nothing, Lestat. That's yeah, because like, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I liked the, the I will only drink the blood of like murderers or, or kind of, 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 of bad people. And he said that their blood is sweeter, tastes better if they're evil. And I was like, well, great. Like, fantastic you know yeah. this this solves everyone's problems like it just solves society's problems it solves mm-hmm. your problems fantastic but no it's 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 rats or humans or nothing um but um yeah so the blood like all, all of the blood stuff i found really interesting just whenever any character had just eaten and like looked up and like smiled or showed their teeth in any way and showed the blood i was just like yeah this is this is cinema. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> they just all look so great, and like I don't, whatever they used for the blood, like it did look really viscous and really, because like bad blood in a film can really ruin yeah. a nice horror film. It can look really bad, but um, it looked delicious. Like any time they were pouring it into a wine glass, I'm like, mm, that looks nice. <laughs> I bet that tastes like strawberry. <laughs> so it's beautiful. Yeah, gorgeous. Said, no, yeah, I was... look like un, 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 undiluted Ribena or something. I'm just like, yeah, I bet that's like the most tasty thing in the entire world. And as a child, undiluted Ribena was the forbidden fruit of my household. Um, you are not allowed to drink that... it, but oh my God, I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Um, the coolest thing that I ever got from having a moderate amount of followers on Twitter was a backstage tour of the Abbey when Let the Right One In was on. Oh, wow. And we got to like use some fake blood and taste it. And it was very sweet and very realistic. I scared myself later on the night and forgot that I still had some in my hand. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, yeah. Okay. But um, yeah, corn syrup. Very sweet. Very corn nice. syrup. Yeah. Corn syrup yeah. and red eye. Yeah. Yeah. It looks delicious. It looks pretty mm-hmm. nice. Because it I, I think it's it's important to make the blood look tasty in this film. Mm. Like we, we, we can't, as an audience, be disgusted by it. The whole time, it, I don't think it would work. It has we to look at least as healthy and tasty as the next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. We, we 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 have to believe that wanting this and desiring mm. this is realistic, um, because we are sympathising with the vampires. 
and I think they because I think it was one of the first films that sort of centered the kind of the very desirable attractive broody vampire I know they've had like very seductive and sexy vampires before the 90s and there's been there's been plenty of films but this one really made the blueprint for what was to follow which is you know Angel and Buffy and you know Twilight any of them they're yeah. the ones that centered vampires mm. experience as not something because before yes they've had, we've had you know you know sexy women vampires we've had all these things but it was always but don't desire them because you'll fall into the bad way this was mm. vampires as a Oh no, you could fall for them a bit, and there's kindness to them, and there's the humanity to them, and they're grappling, they're split within them. Well, Louis, not Lestat, let's be honest. Like, I mean, he, you know, he has this eternal conflict all the time, and they have humanity. So, as well as wanting to desire their lifestyle and thinking the blood looks attractive and their lifestyle is attractive, you need to be attracted to them. But like, but like, like Malloy at the end of the film, that's completely not the point of Louis. <laughs> the reason he's doing this whole story, because yeah. at the very end of. This terrible tale of woe and conflict and hell, and then Malloy's like, "That sounds fantastic. Sign yeah, me up, man. straight. Count me in, man. Absolutely. <laughs> what you can you can live forever. What? And, yeah. and you're getting all these chicks. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's not. Do you know what part really, really, really moved me was when Louis went to the cinema and he yeah. saw um and he saw like a sunrise for the first time in however many years but he was he went and he saw Nosferatu and I was like oh, did he like it like what did he think of it like I really want to know if he enjoyed Nosferatu when he went to see it because like I don't know how does he feel I... because he, he's a bit of a sympathetic vampire as well he's a very early um mm. sympathetic vampire but very you know scary and but like he's uh, did, did you like it yeah. <laughs> yeah. What were we gonna say, Al? I was like, is it like, is that like Dario Gill to Irish people though? Is Nosferatu kind of like, if it's I went to see a film called Alan McGuire and it was a weird, <laughs> creepy little hunchback guy crawling around, I'd be like, I, I feel, I feel offended by his portrayal of Alan. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I just think it was so, it was so sweet that he went to see it. Like, mm. did he see a poster for it? Like, did someone recommend, like, <laughs> um, maybe Louis would like that film. He seems to be into, like, <laughs> dark shit. Like, did he read it in the paper and he was like, oh, I'll go see this. <laughs> like, I need to know. <laughs> someone write the fan fiction of just him going to the cinema. 2,000 words, there's nothing more than that. It's funny that he seemed to, for a couple of decades, just knock around going to see movies, which is exactly what you would do after a while. Mm. You would do, you'd be like, decades you'd be that and then you'd be like okay what's on we'll go see we'll go see superman <laughs> what's on <laughs> that's so true what? though what's on tonight and it's, it's, on? and it's really cute when when he's explaining uh he's like no it's false light it's not real um yeah. i don't know what that helicopter was doing there by the way what were they searching for um yeah every window for no particular window it was like an abandoned <laughs> yeah and it's like they check and there's like yeah there's two guys in there let's leave them to it <laughs> okay <laughs> for a cemetery in 1980s san francisco or whatever it was yeah why not <laughs> but yeah it was really cute that he was afraid of the light and, and he's like no no it's false light and i that like you know he, he's relatively informed about the cinema and cameras and he's not like afraid of car like I, I turned to harry at one point and i was like do, do you think louis gonna be afraid of cars like and he was like yeah he's gonna be like what are these like mechanical horses get these away from me <laughs> and then like three minutes later it was the closing scene with the start in the car 
And he's like driving down the highway with the, like the top down on the car and listening to Guns N' Roses and I'm like, okay, they're not afraid of cars. Decades of decades of hiding out in a crypt and being scared of light and eating rats. He gets straight into a convertible, drives and switches the radio channel like a pro. Oh, yeah. And I'm yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're probably a virtuoso on the piano, but how did you know how to switch from like rate from tape to radio it's, and drive it's, these, it's these automatic cars in america like you can yes. a, a, anyone can drive them just put it into drive <laughs> but yeah it's so funny he just immediately knows how to drive and yet yeah, the other thing i loved about this film was that uh, and i'm sure it's in the book that like i i reckon if you asked any person in the street if you were a vampire like what would you do with your time i think everybody would say learn every language in the world and master the piano like master the piano is one of your top two things and every vampire in this film can play the piano like to yeah. to a very very high standard and i think that is the most realistic thing about this film is that they can all play the piano yeah. very sweet <laughs> i get real good at guitar like just yeah i'd be i'd be fantastic at guitar i wouldn't learn languages i do think louis was straight on duolingo like downloading he's like get mm. yeah <laughs> then I was like yeah I was watching it and I was thinking like well Louis still knocking around now like he's he's still here like what does he think of cryptocurrency like has someone explained chat GPT to him like is he is he keeping up does he have an iPhone like what's the you know did he ever get a telephone like what's what is he what's he interacting with in his day-to-day life does he have a laptop like what's, <laughs> yeah facebook like i need to know that there is actually an interview with the vampire tv show that released over the last few years on i think it's in america and it does deal louis now it's a reimagining so it's louis and i won't tell you in case you watch it now because you're so into interview the vampire i will watch it yep yeah so it's now and they have it's obviously recast. Um, I watched it a few months ago and I loved it because I just, I have so much nostalgia attached to this whole, you know, universe and I loved it anyway. But it's very interesting. They have aged up Claudia. Claudia is 14 for various reasons relating to the modern world and different things that they do with this television show. So it's probably like a 20 year old now playing a 14 year old as opposed mm. to you know, the child. And um, Louis is not a plantation owner anymore. Louis is now a pimp. And he is a vampire of color and there is absolutely no queer subtext it is overt and explicitly just absolutely just they are complete they're lovers 100 percent and okay. it's all it's all like real and there's malloy in the interview but like you should go and give it a look now but it is set a little bit more in the actually mid-pandemic the interview happens again so go, go and have a look at that wow. tv show now so it's that yeah they're like what fascinating did... yeah i just want to see louis use a phone or like go to the atm like for the first time and just you know re- like have to go back inside and be like i know you explained to me how the atm works but could you, would you mind coming out with me and just helping me like I, here's my pen Is it, do you need this number like what, what does this mean like it's yeah oh it was so good though i was so glad that you that you brought it for juvenalia because i think it's like it's the perfect topic for juvenalia because there is a lot you know that is problematic with it that now we look at and we're like okay maybe we could have taken the the plantation stuff out but there's also a lot in it that like reading it in a 2024 context you're like wow this was like 
ahead of its time. This was a deeply queer film. Like it was it was high camp and they're just they're not making films like this now. They're not making films where everyone can just have a bit of fun, you know, and it's yeah, it was a it was an excellent choice. Uh, I'm so glad you brought it and I'm so glad I watched it. I loved it. <laughs> Five stars. Well, thank you so much because it is a kind of a controversial even because in pre preparation for this I kind of like I obviously watched it again last night and I was doing a bit of googling about it and like so many people it's so love or hate about it I think anyone who had like this like love of it or discovered it at a weird time in their lives and they have this sort of like you know uh, you know affection for like an outsider in society or whatever they loved it but so many people like slated it for so many commercial reasons or whatever and the casting but I just think it's I, I don't think like you said they don't make films like that anymore it was such a chance of cinema to get somebody like Tom Cruise in a role like this was so unlikely with a director like Neil Jordan it was just such an unlikely film to happen with such a great mm. budget and like I mean the the effects hold up really well because it's um I think it's Stan Winston he's amazing and it's I just know the production design is just gorgeous. It's a beautifully shot film. And it's not it's not without its problems. I mean, why did Guns N' Roses have to think sing Sympathy for the Devil at the end? I don't know I mean, yeah. why that decision was made. I found an amazing Rolling Stone article from a few years ago about this, where Slash describes that song as the sound of a band breaking up. <laughs> uh, wow. Because <laughs> yeah. even as I was listening to it, I was like, Axel doesn't sound like Axel. Slash doesn't sound like Slash. No. And yeah, it's it's a just a bad for, it's just not Guns N' Roses. It's a bad Guns N' Roses doing a bad version of that song. Yeah, yeah. You you could tell they really wanted that song, but they just for mm. whatever reason couldn't get the rights for it. They're, they're like, right, who's who's done a cover of it? But we'll use that. That's fine. Um, yeah, yeah. That was that was a shame. But yeah, yeah. That last scene, I kind of wouldn't change anything about it for the world. Like I do think it is like one of the great closing scenes. Of it really needs like the. The uh, CSI who yeah over it. Yeah. For him to like put down the glasses and do the yeah, yeah. and then drive off. Yeah. Funny closing line as well. It's kind of but the whole film is bookended by this idea of choice. I'm going to give you the choice. And it's really mm -hmm. nice to see that mm -hmm. had a grasp on choice before a lot of modern uh, nowadays people had. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, um it's completely a lie because we saw Lestat in his crypt saying the vampire was nobody could refuse me. So he's admitting there that his whole premise of giving people choice is a lie mm -hmm. and an illusion. His vampiric charm or whatever. So it's nice that it's bookended by this delusion of Lestat that he's giving people choices and he's not. And yeah. I just thought it was a deadly, iconic closing line for a film. Yeah, and that there is yeah. this sort of like this line of like consent running through the film and and then you have like Christian Slater, uh, Christian Slater's character consenting to something that he cannot consent to um and Louis knows he can't consent to that you know but Lestat doesn't, doesn't they can't you can't let them have it's it's like <laughs> I'm not likening it to this but like the age of consent you cannot make the choice like when Madeline the the woman that's Claudia chooses to be her companion slash mother slash whatever and she said it's for it's it's a child that cannot die and you know that this is such a huge concept for this mortal woman to choose within a very short period of time from a mortal for this child and you know it's not a child but does she does she know she's taking on an, an older companion this woman is actually older than her this woman is 60 or 70 years old at this stage and it's such a complex big idea and they just do it in one scene 
and then they're like yeah. anyway now I'm just gonna have to and let's go on and it's like there's so much more to be chatted about there and and yeah what standing of the concepts are and I don't know there's just so there's so much to it if you were to to, to delve in and I wish I, that's why I think a mini series would suit that kind of universe more than like a film maybe yeah, I wanted every, to learn everyone. more about her. I wanted to learn more about like how Claudia explained things to her and what her understanding was. Her backstory with her own child, who is implied had had died, and you know, this is because Sorry. Anne Rice lost her daughter when she was six years old. This is why she wrote this show. This oh, oh, really. To bring it down now towards the end, but her six-year-old daughter uh, died of leukemia, and she had written this short story. But in her grief, she just like delved into this and wrote it in a really short period of time. She wrote like I don't know how many hours a day and got interviewed the vampire written, and it's she just poured all her grief into this, which is why Claudia exists. And the idea of what happens if you thrust immortality on a child so young, and the problems with that. You know, so that's that. I think that just adds an element of like complete humanity to it when you know that's what she poured into writing the story and then Madeline and her eventually dying together I just think it's really poignant yeah yeah because it's like this this idea of like working through grief by playing out the idea of your child living forever and and realizing that that isn't uh the, the optimal choice between the you know those between those two choices and like what what a really interesting way to to deal with grief or to work through your grief you know i i i wish we'd gotten more of those two and you know yeah that makes complete sense to me now that she is a kind of like a a stand-in character um for for the author like this is like there's just this like this small bit of her own life just there in in the center of the story like and i thought that yeah i just thought that that whole part I just would have loved to see more of it. I would have loved to learn more about her um, and what those conversations were. And they were so, the men were, they, they were also flippant. They were like, oh, you you can't do it. You can't do it. But she, way more so than Christian Slater's character, it, it felt like there was a real reason why yeah. she might want to actually do this and why she might be as good a candidate as you could get for consenting to this life. Christian Slater was just like this sounds so cool I totally want to be a kick-ass vampire who rules you know yeah well it was only reasoning like that which would have convinced Louis to do it that's why Claudia needed to find somebody mm. with that good enough Louis after that said well this was the last part of me that was human I'm now just like Lestat in his own eyes it's like I've no this is the part of him I hated the most and now I have done it to another person I've done because they realized what they've done with Claudia was a mistake now they're making another mistake so condemning somebody else to a life, he wouldn't have taken it lightly and Claudia knew that. So she couldn't just find some Christian slater out there who wanted to be dead. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, I think that's it. I think we've ex- we've we've covered it the whole thing. Sophia, please tell everyone where they can find you, what you got coming up, plug anything you want to plug. For sure. Well, you can find me on all social media on at Sophia Cadigan. It's that with a PH and C A D O G A N, Sophia Cadigan. And I do have a show on this weekend. I think if this is coming out when I think it's coming out on the mm-hmm. 17th and 18th of February in a Smock Valley Boys School. It's called Princess Melancholy. And it's only a work in progress. 
Um, but um, hopefully it'll be gas. And there is no vampires in it, but there is loads of depravity. So please do come along. <laughs> Thank you so much. Andrea, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Blue Sky now that it's open. Um, Andrea Cleary dot Blue Sky, whatever the format is for Blue Sky, but I'm on there. Um, and yeah, that's it. Cool. Um, I am Alan McGuire on Blue Sky. Juvenalia is, I think it's Juvenalia on Blue Sky. Um, we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash Juvenalia, where we talk about what things we started and finished recently, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, thank you, Dean McDonald, for our artwork. Thank you, Cassie thank you. and Tall Tales for having us. And thank you again, Sophia. Sophia oh, thank you, Sophia. Into our lives. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.